Amen. I'm going to ask you to remain standing. Remain standing for God's uh, word this morning as we read God's word. Something we don't do every week, uh, but an important reminder that we approach uh, God's word with reverence and submission to his authority as he works his word upon our hearts. We're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 9 this morning. Author of Hebrews, he's instructing, he's warning uh, this uh, Jewish Christian audience not to turn from Christ and the gospel that's been entrusted to them. What they might go back to is not going to provide uh, the hope that they desire uh, in times of trial and affliction. So he continues to elaborate on why this new covenant is so much better. So we're going to read the first 14 verses of Hebrews 9. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, an Aaron's staff that budded in the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. And of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people." By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more? The blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is the holy and enduring word of our God. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you for your word to us. It is a word that we need to hear on this morning, and so we pray that you'd make us receptive, willing listeners to your word, that it would be proclaimed faithfully in this place. And we do ask your help, Holy Spirit. We cannot um, rightly handle and apply this word apart from you. So illumine our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. Uh, Last Saturday, not yesterday, but the Saturday before, I was walking around this property with a backpack blower strapped to my back that I borrowed from Ron Plate. And let me tell you, that was nice. That thing has some power. Uh, With the number of leaves that we have on this property, it was nice to have that thing to to move uh, that amount of leaves. Because you compare that to my 18-volt battery-powered blower, uh, there's really no comparison. 
Um, now, the, the battery power blower will work when you've got a small space and less leaves. But when you have a property this size, with this many trees, um, it's helpful to have something with a little more power, something that's more robust, and something I could have the confidence would do the job that I wanted it to do. In the last chapter, we were introduced to the new covenant or a better covenant that will do the job God intends to do in restoring a people uh, to himself. Uh, this covenant is, is greater in its reach. It's greater in its power to, to be effective and to, to permanently restore this image that's been fractured by the unfaithfulness of the people. So now the author is going deeper into why this covenant is better. How does this covenant do a job that the old one could not? Uh, so we read a, a short review here. I'll say of really Exodus 25 through 30 and Leviticus 1 through 16, these opening verses, uh, meant to help us understand the better uh, and God's intended uh, purpose. What are the, the furnishings and the layout of the tabernacle uh, supposed to teach us about a better covenant, and then the, the ritual practices of the priests. How is Jesus better? How does Jesus fulfill what was provisional and represented uh, in this first covenant? Um, just think for a moment on the essence of salvation. The essence of salvation for each one of us, for God's people, past, present, and future, is a restored relationship with Him to be at peace with our God, sweet communion in His presence. I mean, that, that's, that's what we're doing in, in worship. We're drawing near to the Holy One with praise and thanksgiving in our hearts and on our lips. We're exalting His worth. That's a heart of worship. His worthiness before all peoples. But that can only be done if God makes it possible. He must enable us to draw near in our worship. So if the new covenant is better than the first, then it must have something to do, if not everything to do, with worship. How we go about our created purpose of glorifying and enjoying God forever in His presence. And what we find with the help of this portion in Hebrews this old covenant system of, of worship with its furnishings and the rituals is inadequate and actually presented a barrier to the true and desired worship of God. So what we're going to look at first here is the barriers to worship we see in the tabernacle, later in the temple, and how that gives way to full access and the freedom that we have in worship. So barriers to worship, freedom to worship, in the way we've been created to do. So the preacher opens here this short description of the tabernacle, its design, the furnishings on the inside, something a Jewish audience would have been very familiar with, probably why he says in verse 5, well, we're not going to spend a lot of time here. We're not going to go into detail on this. So what may be familiar to them is not as uh, familiar to us. Uh, we need to look in our study Bibles at the pictures that are there, go back to Exodus to familiarize ourselves uh, with this. Um, we're not going to go into great detail, but what details does he uh, provide here? He talks about uh, the design, 
Uh, the two sections, two tents in the tabernacle. Now, the, the courtyard was considered part of the tabernacle, but that's not uh, mentioned here. Uh, there's the holy place. As soon as one would enter into the tent, would, the priest would step into uh, the holy place, where all the priests in the line of uh, Aaron would uh, serve on a rotating basis. Um, so in this room is the table with the showbread that the priests would eat. There is the, the menorah, that lampstand of gold, and an altar of, of incense right next to uh, the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, that inner sanctuary. Um, and this is where uh, he seems to spend uh, more time in verses 3 and 4. It's in this inner sanctuary that we find the Ark of the Covenant. And the mercy seat of God and those cherubim that sat on the mercy seat all uh, covered in gold. Uh, this is where the king resides among his people. And there's an urn with, with manna and then Aaron's staff that had, that had flowered. You may re- recall how this was God's confirmation that it was Aaron and his line that would serve as priests uh, before him. These things traveled uh, with the ark. Um, so why, why does he mention this without going into great detail? What is, what is he trying to call to mind for us, for this uh, audience When you think of the tabernacle, the tabernacle represented God's presence with his people. Um, The king was in residence here. You could could see the tabernacle. The people could could see this set up in the middle of of their camp. And they could come with their sacrifices, but they could only come so far. They could only get so close to the tent. So here is God in their midst. Here is a a picture of God's provision for them. He's delivered them. He's he's provided for them in the wilderness. He's given them food and and drink and protection. He's even provided a priesthood to enable them to worship. Um, And yet, how many of the people could see that table with the bread on it? How many of them could see the lampstand? None of them. None of them could actually see these pictures of God's provision and deliverance. Um, this is all in that place that only the priest uh, could go as their representatives. In my home growing up, and it's still the case in our home today, mom and dad's room is for mom and dad. It's the, the sanctuary of the house, essentially. And so the kids, you know, unless there's special permission, don't just go into uh, mom and dad's room. Uh, There's no general access into that place. So it is for the people in in the tabernacle. But even for the priests themselves, um, could they come into the presence of God? Could they draw near? Only so far. Every day, as the priests would serve, rotating and go into that, that holy place, they would see the veil. They would see the curtain and be reminded, we can only go so far. We do not have access into the presence of a holy God. There is a a barrier there. Uh, Commentator Andrew Murray, he reinforces this. He says, Love calls the sinner near, righteousness keeps him back. The Holy One bids Israel build him a house in which he will dwell, but forbids him entering his presence there. So even in the layout and the furnishings of the tabernacle and the temple, we see a weakness of the old way. 
a barrier to God's presence. But even that, that barrier to worship, that, that limited access to God that we've been made for, it's also seen in the priestly role and the sacrifices that they make. And here we get in the point of uh, verses 6 through 10. Only one man could go behind that curtain into the most holy place. Only the high priest and only once a year. We are supposed to hear the limits as we read that. Leviticus 16 provides all of these details. The smoke from the altar of incense would fill the most holy place as the high priest would go behind that curtain and he went with plenty of blood. And then there'd be another sacrifice and he would come back with, with more blood sprinkled on the mercy seat in, in, in front of it. Big, big day in the life of the people. And it happened every year showing the need for cleansing through this blood sacrifice. And every year means that it didn't have the power to get the job done. So this old way was temporal, always intended to be provisional. Outside sacrifices of bulls and goats, they could ceremonially clean the worshiper on the outside. But like we mentioned last week, even as was mentioned this morning, these sacrifices were were all done on credit until the full price could be paid, until the cleansing on the inside could take place. So blood sacrifices could not free from sin and clear the conscience of the people. Something better, something more powerful is intended. So there's this physical now, external barrier to worship in the presence of God. And now we see an internal barrier to worship. The burden of sin and the consequence of sin that keeps the worshiper from God. Uh, This is something you and I know well. We know this really well. You take your car to any number of car washes here along 107 or JFK and it'll come out squeaky clean, shining in the sun, but what about the inside? You know, the the dirt from your shoes and the leftover fast food wrappers and that glove or sock that you left or the melted chocolate or the crayon and let's not even talk about the smell maybe in your car. Um, God has given each one of us a conscience that inner voice that tells us what is right and wrong at any given moment, really. Um, And our consciences can be instructed, they can be trained to to align with what uh, God desires, to align with uh, what is right and wrong according to, to His grace. They can also be hardened. Our conscience can be uh, desensitized by sin so that even what is right in the eyes of God seems wrong. And what is wrong seems right. And so God has built into our conscience a sense of the, uh, of the dirty and the messy. Uh, so this is why you know, we wash our bodies when they get dirty. We wash our cars. We wash our clothes. We wash the dishes. We um, you know, clean up the yard. We clean up our house. And even if we don't like doing those things, we probably hire somebody else to do those things. Because of our sense of the dirty. And so that sense and that desire for a a 
cleanness on the outside of us is a means to recognize the filth that's on the inside. Sin makes us filthy. It, it, it corrupts us from the inside where the washing and the cleansing really need to happen. Adam and Eve, they, they fled from the presence of God. Why? Because their, their conscience was weighed down with guilt. They felt shame at their sin. It was, it was a barrier to their worship in walking in the presence of God. So we can be squeaky clean on the outside, but on the inside we're a mess. We're weighed down by the guilt and shame of sin. Um, this keeps us from believing what God has made true about us. That no amount of animal sacrifices, no amount of meals or baptisms, verse 10, are going to help with this. So we have restricted access, inadequate sacrifice. How do these barriers to worship uh, be overcome? Here's where we find the ministry of Jesus. A better covenant mediated by a better, superior high priest. Not in the order of Levi, not from Aaron's line, but in the order of Melchizedek. The fact that Jesus has been appointed by God the Father as high priest, serving in a heavenly tabernacle, shows us that this time of reformation uh, has come, a new and better order. But when Christ appeared, so compared to everything that's come before, here's what's new and better. As a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater, more perfect tent, not made with hands, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of blood and goats and calves, by means of his own blood, securing an eternal redemption. Do you hear the comparison? There's continuity here. Jesus is a high priest entering into that holy place just as the, the high priest did. He came with blood. There's the continuity, but that's where the continuity ends. The emphasis is on the discontinuity. Jesus is alive. He's not just another priest in a succession of high priests. Jesus serves in the perfect tent, the real sanctuary in heaven, not a temporary representation on earth. Jesus enters not every year, but one time. And he does this with not the blood of animals, but with his own blood. And the result isn't that temporary outward cleansing, but an eternal redemption. So Jesus opens the way. He grants access into the sanctuary. And not just for another priest or two, but for all who would come and worship. All who would draw near to God through Him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me, Jesus says, right before His death. And then at His death in Matthew 27, what do we hear? The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That external barrier of God's presence was removed. So now the, the worshiper has full access uh, to the Holy One. So that, that, that external barrier to worship, that's been taken down. What about the, the second one, the internal barrier? 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, there's the outward, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works? The sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect Lamb, is sufficient to cleanse the inside. It actually has the power to get the job done, to forgive sin. Only Jesus can do this. Maybe you recall the, uh, this group of, of, of friends, these men who were taking their, their friend uh, who, was, who was lying on a mat, who was, who was crippled, and they wanted to take him before Jesus. There's all kinds of people gathered around, but they're determined friends, and so they make a hole in the roof above Jesus, and they lower him right in front of the Lord himself. And Jesus knows their hearts. And he looks at the man, he says, your sins are forgiven. Of course, the Pharisees go nuts. Only God can do this. And so he looks down to the man on the mat, and he says, rise up, take your bed, and go home. You hear what Jesus is saying? I'm going to do something on the outside to show you that I have the power to do what's needed on the inside. What made the sacrifice of Jesus better? How did that sacrifice get the job done when the old ones didn't? It's because it's Jesus, the Son of the God man, the Son of the Son of God, the Son of Man. It's the nature and character of this sacrifice that makes the difference. It has the power to cleanse the conscience of the worshiper from the very guilt of sin. Prophet Ezekiel, he anticipates this. Chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. From all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Be careful to obey my rules. So a better sacrifice, a better way that washes from the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul uses this language. He's writing to the church in Corinth. He says that, well, they were adulterers and they were thieves and they were swindlers. They were these things. They were outside the kingdom of God. And their conscience stricken by this. And he says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. We need a new heart. We need our consciences cleansed. We need new affections if we're going to draw near to God in worship. And this is what Jesus does by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit applies that redemption to us, unites us to Christ by faith. And so now we draw near in gratitude. Now we draw near with lives offered in worship to Him. He's not just dwelling among us, not just God in our midst, it's God within us. And so he frees us from these dead works, things that have no power and cannot provide what it is we ultimately need. I think we can get comfortable 
fact, I know we get comfortable with this, you know, with religiosity and outward ritual. when the affections of our hearts, our desires really don't seem to change all that much. Um, you know, do, we, do we think, look, and act just like those around us and the world around us? Are we putting sin to death, growing in the grace of our God? And are we doing this by the means that He gives us to do that? So the Lord calls us to incline our hearts to Him. And we lead our hearts it leads our hearts by what it is we do day in and day out. What we think, what we say, what we do proves what is true of us. Puritan John Owen said, The Holy Spirit persuades us of God's love in Jesus, that He delights in us and is pleased with us. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that you can worship in the presence of God here on a Sunday morning in your car on the way home, your personal devotions, with a conscience cleansed by the Spirit of God? God knows your deepest secrets. He knows those dark moments. He knows the, the, the sin that may be haunting you right now that keeps you from sweet communion with Him. Brother or sister, He has placed that sin upon His Son, and it's been washed. There's no more guilt. Jesus has freed you from this. He enables you to rise up, get up, and walk in the joy of the Lord. So there, there's, there's nothing in the way now. That's what we need to take away. There's nothing in the way. Jesus has removed every barrier to the presence of God. And He does this for all, Jew and Gentile, all who would come and worship the presence that they've been truly made to enjoy. In church family, we are redeemed and, and, and called to lead the way in priestly service to our God. Our guilty stains are gone. We have full access, full access to the Holy Run, freedom to worship Him every place um, and at all times. Let's, let's pray together. Lord God, what a privilege it is to draw near to you in the name of Jesus. Forgive us when we just take this for granted. We presume upon your grace, knowing that we have an audience with you, our Creator God and our Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves, that you have made a, a new and better way to which the old only pointed and prepared for. We thank you that you have washed us, cleansed us, not just on the outside, through external ritual, but where it's really needed, on the inside. Lord, continue to remind us of who we are united to Jesus. We might go from this place serving you with joy. It's in his name we pray. Amen.